This is Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Donald Trump became president running one of the most divisive campaigns in memory. The fear he unleashed on the land has been palpable since Election Day. And folks are wondering, what the hell happened to the Republican Party and our country? All I know is this. If there were more Republicans in the president's inner circle like Lena Epstein, the Jewish millennial who was Trump's Michigan co-chair, the nation wouldn't be nearly as freaked out as it is. And you can find out why I believe this right now. Lena Epstein, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's start this interview with you by talking about me. And by that, I mean it was during an interview with veteran British journalist Jon Snow of Channel 4 that he asked me how I was feeling in the aftermath of the election of of now President Trump. This was a few days after the election. And I started crying. And we were on the show together. Since then, lots of Trump supporters had less than compassionate things to say. What did you think in that moment when I started losing my composure? First thing I wanted to do is reach out and hug you, uh, but I couldn't do that because you were in D.C. and I was in Detroit. I remember feeling deeply, deeply emotional inside and wanting to comfort you, a man that I'd never met. And I just wanted to reassure you that everything was going to be okay. I truly believe that everything is going to be okay. We're going to talk more about why you believe everything is going to be okay, but we have to go back to the beginning. And that is, you come from a family of Democrats. Yes. You're the, are you the only Republican in your family? Yes. What happened? Yes. I, have, I come from a family entirely of Democrats. I always thought that I was a Democrat until I got to Harvard. Ironically, it's the most liberal university in the country, arguably, amongst others. And it wasn't until I got there in 1999 that I started to to ask questions of other people that it came from other parts of the world and had other ideologies that I came to terms with my uh, more conservative values or conservative ideologies. I, I never changed from Democrat to Republican. I, I always have been a Republican. I just didn't know it hmm. until I started to ask questions. And what were, what were some of the questions that you asked? A, a lot of fiscal related questions about how government could operate, should operate, what is an appropriate method of taxation, what is dangerous economically for our country, discussions around poverty, how do we lift people up, American culture and the role that culture plays with policy. Of course, there were the social issues, too. I was mostly driven based on the economic issues. I think everybody has to decide at a certain point what is most important to them, what drives them, what informs the way that they vote. And for me, it was the economic issues and the prescription from the Republican Party. And when it came to the the social issues, clearly you're making a separation that when it comes to fiscal and economic policy, you are right there 100% um, with, with the Republican Party. But when it comes to social issues, where do the, you fall? There is a wave of and a surgence of republicanism that is happening around the country right now. 
you could call them crunchy Republicans. And you look at me, you wouldn't necessarily think of me as a crunchy Republican. No, you would not. Um, and how I present myself or how I communicate. But a crunchy Republican is somebody that loves all people, that wants prosperity for all people, regardless of what you look like, who you love, what attracts you, what doesn't. I mean, this is this is the American way. It's the methodology of stay out of my bedroom, stay out of my pocketbook. I want to be left alone. I want all freedoms. That's really the ideology. And so in that way, that's how you marry, for lack of a better term, the fiscal and the social in terms of your worldview. Absolutely. And I feel like the more inclusive I can be as a member of the Republican Party, the more we'll be able to attract good people. And I think politics in general has a terrible reputation for attracting bad people with bad motives. And there are a lot of people in both parties that have really good hearts, people like you that that are on a mission to make the country a better place, to make the world a better place. It's not all bad. And it's so easy, so easy to write a whole party off, a whole community off on either side. I think it's just so dangerous. I, I am seeing so much hatred around me. From both sides, it is really, really scary. There's a, there, there is a dissonance here because everything that you're saying, I agree with a, a, a 100%. And yet the man who is now our president became president running a campaign that I have written. I've, I've written this and I've said this on television that was racist, xenophobic, misogynistic, and othering. How could someone like you, who speaks in such an open, warm, welcoming way, support someone like him, who every time he opens his mouth, doors close. I had to make a really tough call at the beginning of the year when I went and publicly supported him when there were 20 candidates on stage. I got in real early for Donald Trump, and I doubled down. And yet you and I are sitting here having the conversation that we're having. What is, where's the connection? You know, the dissonance. And, and here's, here's my answer. Donald Trump is not a perfect man. Donald Trump is flawed. Donald Trump has weaknesses just like every other human being, just like Barack Obama, just like every other candidate that ran against Trump in this election. And we all, as voters, as Americans, had to make a choice at some point, whether that was in the voting booth or at the beginning of the year or two years ago or whenever it was, who we were going to support. And I could see that of anybody on the stage, that Donald Trump was going to be the player in the race who was going to speak his mind. Now, there's a blessing and a curse to that. The blessing is, is that he challenges political correctness. The word political correctness I, makes me feel really yucky inside because I want us all to feel free in this country to speak our minds. There's a distinction there between speaking our minds and that being necessarily right or wrong. I like that Donald Trump speaks his mind. I like that he brings up the unpopular. I like that he has made people feel hopeful again, and he has a large amount of people that are downtrodden financially. It's the middle America, the working man and woman that elected him. Honestly, when you look at the demographic, these are people that wanted change and opportunity. And I, I knew that he was going to be the guy. Now, I had one of the toughest jobs in town as Michigan co-chair for his campaign, defending, defending him. And never once did I ever condone inappropriate word, words, 
statements or behavior. And in fact, I would be the first to say Mr. Trump was wrong. We have to be in, in the spirit of the, the Trump rhetoric. The campaign co-chair was saying, you're wrong, sir. That's the world that I want us to live in. I want you, Jonathan, to call me out. I'd like to feel safe to call you out in a respectful way. And he has had bad behavior, and I have disagreed with him many times. I mean, there's bad behavior, and then there is behavior that really makes you question his maturity, his readiness for arguably the most important job in the world. I think that life is going to humble him. I think that he's going to find for the first time that he's forced to get along with people even when he doesn't want to. You really think so? I do. You have to. In federal government, it's organized in a way that you must work as a team. There are three branches, and within those branches, people have to get along. I mean, if you want to get something done. Right. I mean, we've been hearing during the campaign, he's going to change. He's going to change or he'll implode. He doesn't implode. He becomes the nominee. Now he's the nominee. He's going to change. He's going to change. He's going to have to he'll grow into the role. Never did. He gets elected. People said, uh, "Okay, now now is the time. He's really going to change, especially after that Oval Office meeting with President Obama, where you could physically see the enormity of what happened wash over him. There's no denying it. And then it seemed like within hours that was gone. And now folks are wondering, well, when's when's he going to be presidential? And now that he's president. I have to tell you, I'm not convinced that half the things you just said are really going to happen. I hope that you're wrong. You could be right. I know for sure, and I've said this very openly, I want him, I, I pray for him to gain the courage to handle his emotions in a broader way. That's really what this comes down to, these difficult moments. Can he gain stoicism? Can he gain diplomacy. I didn't vote for President Trump because of his diplomacy. That wasn't top of my list of most important characteristics in a president. I was looking for other things, areas of economic strength, areas that could secure our borders, create more opportunity, better education. But he he definitely has work to do in the area of emotional management. Have you had a chance to talk to him at any length during the campaign, during the transition? I did. I had the wonderful opportunity to meet him many times on the campaign trail. He came to Michigan almost 10 times. I don't remember. the It was eight, nine, 10 times. He was the first stop on the trail was in Michigan, and his last stop on the trail was in Michigan. And I had several opportunities to converse with him. And I never had the opportunity to talk to him about managing his emotions. I thought about it. I gave it some real thought. I talked to my husband about it, about about actually making some suggestions to him. What would, what would you have suggested to him? I would encourage him to take some time away from the cameras, away from the phone, put the phone down, take some time with a trusted friend, a trusted advisor, and talk about emotional triggers. Talk about what happens when a reporter says X or he sees Y and and how how does he want to be perceived and then talk about the disconnect or provide a, encourage him to sit in a really safe place where he feels vulnerable, which I think is very difficult for him to, to ever get to that place of vulnerability. 
But that would be my advice. I'm, and if there's any way that I'm given that opportunity, I will. But you had you had several opportunities. You you said you even talked to your husband about it, and yet you didn't you didn't take that step. Why? Political correctness. <laughs> Old habits die hard, my friend. I mean, it, it's really tough to go from feeling after many years that I had to say the right thing politically, do the right thing politically, to finally shed my skin, be who I am, an outlier. I'm an outlier in my party. I am a Jewish millennial female who is supporting Trump. I mean, I, was re- I am an outlier. And I'm a minority. I'm a triple minority. And I understand you and I can relate in that way to, to what that's like, navigating through that. And I didn't want to lose my post. Hmm. I, I was concerned about that. And, and that really speaks to your comments. If, if I was afraid, to be honest with him, a man that I was getting to know and seeing repeatedly, I, I still have had and have faith that people can grow. And he will grow into the role. President Obama grew into his role. I was looking at a picture today, I'm sure you saw it, of his first press conference and his last press conference and just the, the, the optics. Physical cha- the physical change. Yes, besides gray hair and his, his, he has wonderfully handsome good looks. But the, the difference between how even just his, his energy, though his posture, the, his facial expression, he grew into the role, whether people loved him as a president or hated him as a president. I think we're going to see the same thing with President Trump. Let's stick uh, a little longer on this political correctness thing, because and you brought up the fact that you're a triple minority. And I was going to bring that up because uh, you wrote an op-ed piece in October of 2016. You start out the piece by saying, I'm Jewish, I'm a woman. I'm a millennial, and I'm incredibly proud to be a Republican supporting Donald Trump for president. And I, when I read that, I wasn't surprised by it. I mean, as a, as a progressive, left-of-center person, you know, we're used to talking to each other and about each other in these ways that recognizes and respects difference. But you, you say this in a party that I cannot tell you how many times I get comments from people saying, why are you always talking about the fact that you're black? Or why are you always talking about the fact that you're gay? Why can't we all just be Americans? And my eyes roll into the back of my head because it's somebody, the person who's saying it clearly is someone who has never had to face being different. How do you deal with that in your own party? There's one word for that. You have to have grit. You have to work harder to overcome the obstacles. I can't tell you what it's been like. There are men in the party that have resisted women getting involved. I think with the the entrance of Rana, Romney, McDaniel, folks like myself getting more involved, I think that we're changing the tide. I am on, a, on the biggest mission of my life to broaden the Republican Party, to, to make it inclusive, to encourage people to speak freely in a safe environment about what is important to them, whether it's the economic issues, the fiscal issues, or the social issues, or both, something in between. You have to have grit at the center of everything that I do. You have to have grit, and you also have to have a certain level of stoicism. You have to be able to handle someone mistreating you. I have been absolutely mistreated along the way by members How? of my own party. How? Uh, there are folks that uh, at various times were not as supportive of me and, and my rise because I'm Jewish, because I'm a female, I'm not sure, my age, I'm a millennial. 
I don't really worry. I can't really spend too much time along the way worrying about why does this person feel this way. And ultimately, if somebody doesn't like you, Jonathan, or doesn't like me, it's the other person's issue. If they don't like us because of the color of our skin or who we love or how we live our lives, it's the other person's issue. I am so optimistic about the future of the Republican Party, but there's so much work to do. There's so much work to do. When when did the Access Hollywood tape come out? It might have been October. It might have been September. But it was clearly after after the conventions. When that tape came out and you heard then private citizen Donald Trump saying the things he said, what did you think? First thought was, wow, you're not making my life any easier. <laughs> like I said a few minutes ago, I was the f- one of the first to say it was not appropriate what he said. And nobody should be speaking like that. I also said, I still support and then Mr. Trump because I'm not voting for my future children's Sunday school teacher or a priest or a rabbi or somebody. I, I'm, I'm going to be voting for somebody who... I believe will make America's borders stronger, who will combat ISIS, who will strengthen the relationship with Israel, who will grow the GDP, who will bring jobs back to this country. That's where I was coming from. I I said it's wrong and he's still the guy. So, um, you know, in terms of keeping the borders strong and taking the fight to ISIS, in making all those arguments, then candidate Trump made those arguments in ways that rattled, and that doesn't even begin to describe how fearful some of his comments made particular groups of people. So how would you allay, if you possibly can, allay our fears that what candidate Trump said is not going to really become policy under President Trump? And then If it does become policy under President Trump, what are you going to do? I have people from all over the country asking me this question every day. I I get calls from old friends from Harvard, friends in in the LGBT community that are scared. I mean, I have folks that feel safe reaching out, asking me this very question every day, all day in mass. It's interesting because I'm finding myself to be a bit of a translator, taking the words that come out of President's, President Trump's mouth with trying to bring it to scale and to size and to, and, to, and to try to organize it in a way that can make sense to all of us. In this democracy that we have, there are checks and balances. We are going to have to see and give it time and watch. And these, a lot of these things that he has said about Hispanics, about, about the registry, and if you haven't noticed, they do evolve. His statements do change with time. He could retract part of it. He could say something else. He might be at times shooting from the hip if he's having an emotional reaction, and then he'll correct it the next day. Let's give it time. Let's, let's stay calm to the extent that we can and be willing to let the first 100 days unfold and see what he's able to accomplish, I feel very strongly that his main, pri- his main priority out of the box is going to be bringing jobs back to this country. But some of these, these issues about these worst-case scenarios, things that have come out of his mouth that could be interpreted in a, in a worst-case scenario way, I would really encourage everybody to, to take a breath 
give it time and see what happens. How much time? I mean, he's got he's got a minimum of four, of four years, and given the society that we're in, even a hundred days might not be enough for some people. Maybe a year would be more better to your question, but I think we're going to see in the first hundred days what his priorities are. We're going to see where he goes first, where he's pulled, where he's pushed, what he says no to, what he says yes to. He's going to be bombarded with hundreds, if not thousands, of pressures from global world leaders and and the machine of the federal government. He's going to be overwhelmed. He's Donald Trump, but he's still going to be overwhelmed. I think, to your point, after a year, I think it's it's going to be very safe to say, okay, this is this is awful or this is awesome. Did you ever consider going into the administration? My husband, are you, I mean, it's still early. Are you in the process of looking into moving to Washington? Are you going to be in this studio like once a quarter? Well, I would love to be in the studio once a quarter, regardless of where I live. The, the future is going to be bright, God willing. Let me just say that. The future is going to be really bright. My husband, Eric, and I love being in Michigan. I love my family and... Vasco Oil Corporation, the family uh, our business. family business. We want to have a family too. So you got to factor that in. I've got to factor that into all of my decisions. As a newlywed, you and I are both newlyweds. Right. So you got married in August on time, but delayed your honeymoon. We moved up our wedding in order to be married under President Obama, but are delaying uh, our honeymoon. You took your honeymoon to Hawaii. Yes. Um, and not to overshare, but um, we started talking about the other day about certain activities that were happening in terms of the family planning a- aspect here. So let's say you do you do have your family. There's nothing wrong starting a family here in Washington. Let's put it this way. I would be very open to my own political run at some point. I'm just going to float that out there on your Um, On the podcast. Anyone who has been listening, this will not come as a surprise to anybody um, who's been paying attention. Is it that obvious? Oh, come on, on. Lena, really? Is it? Oh, absolutely. Okay, what's the giveaway? Well, look. Shoot. Well, look, as I said during our interview with um, the esteemable Jon Snow, if President Trump talked about the issues, the way you talk about the issues, if he had just done that in the transition, the country would not be nearly as fearful as it is right now. Um, you're, able to, you're able to talk about the things he talks about in a way that's not hateful, that's not, that doesn't shut doors. Um, dare say, you speak, you are, you present as the kind of Republican I'm, I, I grew up seeing uh, someone who's steady, smart, compassionate, and yet has a different political point of view. So the idea that you would run for office is probably the one glimmer of hope (laughs) (laughs) that I have for Trump's America. Now, run for office, hope you win. But if you get a position in the White House, that would make me feel a little better that there's someone in there who, you know, at least in in some way, at least on a human level, um, shares. I share something with. It's a great great idea. 
And I, <laughs> I, uh, I, from the bottom of my heart, to hear you say that means a lot, what you said. And that's my life's mission. I have I have friends across the aisle. I have I have had have it at times had more Democrat support of me than even the Republican Party. People wanting to encourage me to to pursue this dream, whether that's from my own family who's been so loving and so encouraging. This is a family who we share such different ideology. I know, they're all Democrats. You're a Republican. I know. My I mean, very very liberal, very very left of center. What about your husband? My husband is a Republican. Ah, okay. I feel safe enough in who I am and uh, my ideology to to be surrounded by people that think differently than me. I don't want to be around a bunch of me's. I want to be around people that are brighter than me, smarter than me, more creative, have better ideas. The team that uh, of folks and, and the support that has come around me in Detroit, in D.C., in New York, in California. I have Randy Zuckerberg trying to elevate me now. She and I are friends from Harvard trying to spread the word. She said that I was the only rational Republican feed in her Facebook account for 12 months I'm seeing I'm seeing people respond positively. Why wouldn't I want to keep going? So what would you what what would you run for? Oh, you're just asking all the big questions. Well, I mean, I'm a reporter. It would take something very, very significant for me to ever consider walking away from the day to day operations of my business, something statewide or something federal. I would not ever, ever consider anything short of that. And I'm a very patient lady. Well, I mean, very patient and, and, and young as well. As you said, you are a millennial um, who, has, who has time on her side. A lot of people are highly impatient around me and want things to happen yesterday. I just encourage, I encourage folks to, to open up their minds to the millennials. We're, we're here to stay. And it's amazing. I love that I'm 35 and a millennial. I'm, I'm on the cusp. I'm within... You're 35? Yes, I'm 35. Oh, man. I thought you were younger. Well, thank you. How old did you think I was? I, in the 20s. Like late 20s, but oh, in the 20s. Oh, you are my, officially my new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, when you get to be my age, everybody's young. Tell me, tell me about your husband, Eric. Who, who is this character? How did he, he sweep you off your feet? Because he clearly swept you off your feet. Can you tell that I, oh, am I gushing? Abso- oh, absolutely. I'm, then now I'm going to get tears in my eyes. He is... He is the light of my life. He taught me to believe in myself. He, he taught me to believe in myself. He is a man who is self-made and is everything that he has is because of the grit inside of him. And uh, he, he, uh, he lifts me up. And he's super cute. Lena Epstein, Michigan co-chair of uh, Trump for president, now potential candidate for something at some point in Michigan or something in the Trump administration. We don't know. But this much I do know. If there were more Lena Epstein's in the Republican Party and most definitely within the Trump administration, the mood and the tone and the tenor of this country would be in a much better place. Lena, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. You are the best. 
Okay, that was recorded before the nationwide protests against President Trump's immigration ban. So we got Lena on the phone to get her reaction to all this. And here's what she had to say. Well, I think it's incredibly important that people speak up. Um, And I've been adamant about this for any protest that's occurring. I think that's part of the part of the First Amendment. It's, It's incredibly important to protect and I encourage people by all means, to be who they are and to express themselves is critically important. To that end, I think that there's absolutely 100% no doubt that the execution of President Trump orders has been full of challenges. So here's the sticky situation. On one hand, we want to provide a safe haven and we must open our doors for those who face persecution in their homelands. And then on the other hand, we don't want to hand over the keys to our own safety, to those who wish to do us harm. But I will remind you that this is a list generated through the Obama administration. These seven countries, between the end of 2015 and into 2016, these seven countries were identified as as the most volatile in terms of generating terrorists or um, aligning folks together that would then conduct a terrorist act. I understand where you got the information from, and I understand the the motivation for putting that out there. But I think any reasonable person would argue that Obama administrations comprising that list of nations was not for the purpose of banning immigration from those countries. I mean, we had people on planes who were midair and had their extremely vetted visas revoked once they land once they landed. And to your point, I mean, that gets to your point about the execution of this not being optimal. But I mean, at a certain point, President Trump is going to have to take responsibility for what President Trump has done and trying to find a way to get cover by mentioning President Obama, I think is unacceptable. I don't think, Jonathan, that he's trying to find cover. I think that's just a fact that it was it was identified in the Obama administration. I think what you're saying, I totally understand. And I have a tremendous amount of compassion for those individuals. I can't imagine, you and I can't imagine, being American-born citizens, what that felt like for those individuals that you mentioned. And I understand the tremendous amount of emotion involved here and the number of people that we're talking about and the magnitude of this. And I feel, I feel very strongly that, you know, that balance between safe haven and protect and protecting the American citizens. I don't think that balance has been struck yet with President Trump. But I commend I do commend the fact that he wants to address this issue. He's not handling it in the way that you and I would outline or suggest to him. There's a lot of tactics that could be used that, you know, that that I would I would advise him and, and certainly keeping in mind all perspectives. I think that's critically important. The fair governmental process that we have in place held upheld by our Constitution is going to force the fact that this order, first of all, is going to remain temporary. And second of all, it's going to have to be modified. If he faces enough pressure from other camps, it's going to have to be modified. I don't think that he's, he's reached the balance yet. And I would be the, you know, again, I would be the first to say that. Lena Epstein, thank you very much for coming back on the program, however briefly, to give us this update. Wow. 
Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. You know what? Do me a favor. Subscribe and then rate and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. Capehart.